Man, I thought about something today, and we can talk about this when we get to the virgin birth, but Martin Lloyd-Jones blew my mind today when he talked about that Joseph's role in the birth of Christ, all it did was show man's absolute inability to do nothing. This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. We cannot stand before God in our sin. This is like when you say, I, I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us some men who know the truth. I almost vomit every time I go into a Christian bookstore because the top 20 books are all about how you can get whatever you want from God whenever you want it if you rub his belly the right way. There's no repentance. There's no holiness. There's no vision of who God is, what God wants. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? Well, hey, everybody. Hey, what's up? What's up? Welcome to Matter of Theology. And uh, today we are going to tackle the subject of Christology with the question, does it matter? And with the subject that we're going to talk about, it should always humble us. And uh, with this incredible sense of inadequacy and fear, um, there is no higher topic of conversation to address. Uh, R.C. Sproul said that when talking about Christology. And we can never, even the best of us on our best days, reduce his work to any sort of conversation, teaching, or lecture. So he, in, in his power and his love... It transcends anything we could ever say about him. So one of the things I wanted to do is pray before we dive into this. So uh, if you're listening, unless you're driving, uh, well, you can still pray, but just don't close your eyes. We don't want to be Jesus, take the wheel. Amen. Carrie Underwood. Man, that's twice this week I've heard that song. <laughs> oh, gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today grateful Grateful that you have chosen us. What a humbling and fearful thought that the one who spoke stars into existence chose us before the foundation of the world to be regenerated, justified by a foreign righteousness not of our own, justified and been given the ability to grow in sanctification through the continued exposure to your holy and inerrant word. So Father, as we carefully and humbly walk through and discuss the great doctrine of Christology, our prayer is that we would carefully yet boldly remember and proclaim these rich and specific truths about the second person of the Trinity. Guide our thoughts clearly. Give us the ability to articulate them clearly. Father, we want to take this time to confess any unrepentant sin in our lives. God, we beg you Father, that, that what we say will be based on nothing but your word and not just our opinions. Our prayer is that anyone who hears our voices 
today or whenever that may be, and the truths proclaimed, that you would use them to bring either or regeneration and or sanctification to them, to conform your elect more and more into the image of Christ. So thank you, Father, for your word and the ability to comprehend it and understand it as much as our feeble and finite minds will allow. We love you because you first loved us, and we love your truth. Your word is truth. Lead us now in Christ's name. Amen. So as we've discussed numerous times, theology matters, and it all hinges here. What? I know. And it all hinges on the study of Christology. And and this is the study of the person and work of, of Jesus. And as a believer, this topic should lead us to greater doxology as we bow at his feet and give praise and adoration for what he's done and continues to accomplish for his glory and our joy. So to answer the question at the top, oh yeah, it matters. Having a wrong or false view of Christ ultimately creates a false gospel that does not save. All it does is damn us to hell. It's not enough to simply say that we believe in Jesus, but the question must be asked, what do you believe about Jesus or which Jesus do you believe in? And unfortunately, throughout history, even today, many in the church, the evangelical church, have promoted either a heretical or heretical view of the person and work of Christ. So with that said, man, let's dive in. Awesome. <clears throat> well, just to start out, I want us to read from the uh, Chalcedonian definition of faith. I'm just going to read it. It's a little bit long, but uh, it's, it's full. So, <clears throat> following then the Holy Fathers, we all unanimously teach that our Lord Jesus Christ is to us one and the same Son, the self-same perfect in the Godhead, the self-same perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, Amen. the self-same of a rational soul and body. Mm. Co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead, the self-same co-essential with us according to the manhood, like us in all things, sin apart, before the ages begotten of the Father as to the Godhead, but in the last days the self-same for us and for our salvation of the Mary the Virgin, Theotokos, as to the manhood." One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, mm. only begotten, acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the difference of the natures being in no way removed because of the union, but rather the, pro- the properties of each nature being preserved and both concurring into one person and one hypostasis. Not as though he were parted or divided into two persons, but one and the selfsame Son and only begotten God, Word, Lord, Jesus Christ. Even as from the beginning the prophets have taught concerning him, and as the Lord Jesus Christ himself hath taught us, and as the symbol of the fathers hath handed down to us. Well, hey, that was a great episode. We'll see you guys next time. No, man, wow. So uh, uh, what we'd like to do is let's, uh, let's walk through some of the, the doctrine that's laid out in this thick statement 
in the Chalcedonian definition of faith. Perfect in the Godhead and perfect in manhood. So, we see there, truly God, truly man, even refers later on to to the hypostasis. Mm. Uh, It's referred to as the hypostatic union, the union of God and man, the God-man. And I think this is a great time to to mention Philippians chapter 2. I think it's important for us to know uh, that many people would say that Jesus, when it says that he emptied himself, that that's referring to him leaving his divinity behind and becoming a man. But that's not, that's not what the text says there, and that's not what the text is teaching. That's right. The text of Philippians is teaching us that Jesus, in his full divinity, added to himself a full human nature, making him truly God, truly man, fully God, fully man, and two natures. And that's what's known as, as kenosis. Yeah. Um, which, which uh, you know, t- you want to talk about tackling uh, a heresy that, that uh, continues to rear its ugly head is, is those who subscribe to kenotic theology. Mm. So what they, what they state is that, you know, and, and their big thing is they've misunderstood the concept and th- they, they think that Christ emptied himself of an aspect, one aspect or another of his deity. Mm. When that's not what he did, that's right. um, you know, Scripture is clear that Christ, again, uh, being truly God and truly man, experienced everything we did. He he voluntarily yielded the the I like the way MacArthur says this: the independent exercise of his divine attributes to the will of his heavenly Father. Mm. It isn't that he emptied himself of of any of his deity. Uh, that that is that is not. That's heresy, and let's just go ahead and call that what it is. So the Chalcedonian definition when it comes to uh, that, acknowledged in two natures. Hmm. So we affirm that Jesus in one person had a full human nature and a full divine nature, and with each of those natures came a human will and a divine will. And we see those things, those wills played out in different uh, times. Right. Uh, for, for instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus uh, asking the Father if there's another way, but then he says, no, well, thy will be done, right? Well, his divine will is the same divine will as the Father's. That's right. So in that moment... He, he is coming from a place where his human will is being taxed and feeling the weight of what's going to happen to him. And though we separate those two natures and those two wills, we can never separate them from the man, the one person. That's right. We can never separate them from the one person. So even in that moment, he was still fully God, even though his human will was... Begging and praying to the Father, right? But just as he, when he handled uh, when he handled the situation with the Samaritan woman, 
He mm-hmm. knew everything about her. She That's went right. into the city yep. and she said, I met this man. He knew everything about me. Well, that didn't come from Jesus's human nature. That came because he has a fully divine nature and is all knowing in that nature. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of the virgin birth. Oh, yes, let's. Because there have been many. Andy Stanley. Whoa. Whoa. That Sorry. have, that have said but not that uh, <clears throat> it doesn't matter how Jesus came into the world. Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, it doesn't matter how he came into the world. It just matters that he was resurrected and that he, pre- he predicted his resurrection. Uh, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter how he came into the world. So um, I think it's important uh, for us and uh, for, for our listeners to know that if you, if you hear someone say something like that, that the virgin birth is not important, it's not important how Jesus came into the world, that's a huge problem. What I've told my seventh graders is I gave them one little short statement. I said, no virgin birth. No salvation. There you go. We cannot have salvation apart from the virgin birth. The integrity of the gospel concerning Jesus rests soul, not solely, but heavily on the truth of the virgin birth. That's right. You cannot have the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ without it. And so I ask this question, if, if, if the virgin birth, if someone has a problem with the virgin birth or it isn't important, as Andy Stanley said, and I am going to call him out by name, uh, because he needs to repent. He needs to read his Bible and needs to repent. Enough about that. But what do you do? How do you account for his sinlessness? Something that my mind was blown today uh, by listening to the doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones. When, when he said this, he said, as our Lord's divine nature had no mother, so his human nature had no earthly father. It was entirely the work of God. He took on his human nature from Mary, but it was done through the instrument of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so then he said this, and this is what got me thinking today. He said, Joseph is used to show the absolute inability of man. Mm. So in the same way that Joseph has nothing to do with the incarnation of Christ, we have nothing to do with our regeneration and rebirth, which Mm. we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. But the virgin birth is extremely important. Yeah. It, it, it. I don't understand how you can question that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so let, let, let's talk a little bit about um, why, what, what, let's, let's push that through a little bit more. So why, why is the virgin birth important? Why is Jesus's sinless, sinlessness important? Why is the fact that he came from uh, the Holy Spirit and not from a human and and uh, father and a human mother. Why is that important uh, coming forward? Because it's, I mean, Scripture talks about the fact that sin entered the world through Adam. Mm-hmm. So um, had, had he not been born of a virgin, mm-hmm. but had been Joseph's biological son, mm. the sin nature would have been passed to him. Mm. And why is that important in, for our salvation that Jesus not be tainted with sin. Well, because he lived the perfect life of obedience that we never could. Mm. Um, and ultimately, um, had he sinned, then that sacrifice uh, on the cross means nothing. 
So you're saying a human can't die for another human. That's right. A sinful human can't die for another human. And have it counted as righteousness. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 5. Yes, please. Uh, Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. I like that. I love that. Mm. A type of the one to come, right? It, Adam was pointing to Jesus. He was a typology yep. of Jesus. Yep. Let's keep going. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Mm. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I love this because, because we see Paul is comparing two things here. He's comparing Adam and the sin that Adam had and the death that he brought and Jesus and the sinlessness and righteousness and the perfect life that he gives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it in verse 16 where he says, uh, for, the, for the one judgment, for judgment following the one tr- trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That's right. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We said this in our last episode no one is outside the reach of Christ and his blood. Amen. And what I see in here is Paul saying that Jesus and his blood and his life can overcome any sin that anyone has ever done. And as a matter of fact, it overcomes many trespasses and through those many trespasses, he brings justification. He takes people that are guilty and makes them not guilty. And if you look even at a bigger picture, you see in verse 17, death reigned through one man. Yep. Oh, but look, at the end of, the, at the end of verse, that uh, same verse, end of 17, righteousness, the gift of righteousness reigns in life through the other man. So it's a comparison of not only whether or not someone is guilty and are made not guilty, it's Jesus, he doesn't just take guilty people and make them not guilty. He takes dead things and brings life where there is no life. Yep. And, what, and that just is, that is so phenomenal to me. We would call that active obedience. The righteousness that Christ lived, the perfect life that he lived, according to his sinless nature because of the virgin birth, we would call that active obedience, and therefore making him a spotless lamb. Mm. 
a lamb without blemish or spot that is worthy of sacrifice and worthy of his blood to be put on the doorpost so that we may be passed over. So let's talk a little bit about passive obedience. So we just talked about active obedience. Chris, what's passive obedience? Oh, man, you're on a roll. You keep going. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so uh, our pa- passive obedience is the fact that Jesus willingly laid down his life, mm. right? When we say passive, we mean he could have done something, right? Uh, Isaiah 53 tells us that he was, uh, he was, he opened not his mouth. Mm. He was like a sheep that was led to the slaughter. Before his shearers, he was silent. He, he, could have done something, but he willingly and passively gave up the perfect life that he had already lived in his active obedience. And by the way, we can't, we ain't saved without both of those. Amen. He needed. He must have been perfect in his life, and he, we must have his sacrifice for our place for our sins. And apart from that, we have no salvation. Uh, that would be what we would call, uh, in a theological term, the great exchange or double imputation. Mm. His righteousness is imputed to us. Right. Our sin is imputed to him. Yep. And, uh, and so I just want to read really quickly from uh, 2 Corinthians 15. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the substitutionary part right here. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, believers, might become the righteousness of God. That is the the substitutionary aspect of what Christ did right there. He became sin for us mm. so that that our sin would be crushed on the cross when he was crushed <clears throat> so all of this points back to just kind of bringing things uh, back around to kind of where we were the importance of both the virgin birth mm. and uh christ being both truly and fully god and truly and fully man that's right because he could not do that mm. Were that not the case? That's right. Again, it nullifies um, his validity. It nullifies the gospel. Mm. Yeah. So I think about this in the fact that if any one of our sins are not covered by the blood of Christ, that one sin, no matter how small, will condemn us. That's right. And so all sins, past, present, future, must be atoned for, mm-hmm. and it must be atoned for by someone who is perfect and who is uh, human like us and sinless at the same time. And also, let's talk about Jesus as our uh, mediator, as our high priest. So, Chris, what, what did the high priest do in the Old Covenant? Well, the high priest was responsible for um, mediating between God and man, facilitating the sacrifices that were needed in order to atone for sin. And how does Jesus fulfill that role well, for us? You said he was, I mean, perfect, the, 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 the perfect and spotless lamb. My mind is drawn to Hebrews. <laughs> so Hebrews chapter uh, four, leading into verse five, 
and uh, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, uh, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help to help in time of need for every high priest chosen uh, from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That's why Jesus had to be a human. There you go. Um, He got tired. Yeah. He got thirsty. He got hungry. Yep. He was tempted. Yep. He got angry. Yeah. He got sad. He's tempted in every way we are. That's right. And the question I have is, do we, would we want a high priest that has no idea what it is that we go through? Or do we want a high priest that has in every way been tempted as we are, yet without sin? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this answers the question. This, is, this answers the question here. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, this gives us great encouragement as Mm -hmm. believers that Jesus is sympathetic to his people. He has felt the things that we feel. He has dealt with the things that we've dealt, dealt with. Because of that, Hebrews tells us we can have confidence to draw near the throne of grace so that we can have mercy and grace when we need it because of the graciousness of Christ, because of the life that he lived, because when he went into the wilderness Mm. for 40 days and was tempted because of those things, we can come to him. He, he wants us to come to him, right? And I'm, I'm even reminded of 1 John. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says this, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate mm. with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Right? He, because of the life that he lived, the perfect life that he lived, because of the fact that he is God and he is man, he can advocate for us because he's been through what we've been through. And I love that too. You, you want a, a great example of how Christ, how the great high priest, how he's uh, farther in Hebrews talks about he is seated at the right hand of God, right? Uh, if you want to read an example of what Christ is interceding for you. Read John 17. John chapter 17 is called the high priestly prayer of Christ. Uh, a lot of people call that the Lord's prayer instead of the, the section of scripture where the Lord's teaching us to pray. Um, but I mean, what a, a beautiful, um, a, a beautiful and powerful uh, words that he prays for us, um, his, all his disciples um, in there. Um, so I mean, I'm not going to read through it now because it would take a little bit, but read it. If you want, open your Bibles, mm. open your scriptures and read that. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. So, 
Before, before we jump into uh, the deity of Christ and why it was important that he be fully God, I think this is a great question to ask because there are people who claim that Christians, because Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, lived a perfect life, that we Christians who are empowered by the Spirit can also live a sinless life. So what say ye about that? Heresy. And here's, are we, we, we were not conceived miraculously. Our, and this is why it's important, very, very important that we just, when talking about Jesus, we don't just say that God became flesh. This is why we say that the second person of the Trinity became flesh. Okay. Now, uh, his divinity, his deity, his, his divine nature is the same and, and always has been. So it's extremely important to remember that our nature uh, as human beings, because we were conceived by a man and a woman coming together, as Scripture says, the sin nature was passed down to us along with our human nature. So there's no way that because of that, that you and I can live a perfect, sinless life. Um, we would like to. Our desire would be to, absolutely, mm-hmm. especially if we're in Christ. Our, our nature is changed, mm-hmm. but we're still plagued by that war within, that war against the flesh. Mm. Um, so Todd White is not sinless. Uh, definitely not. Oh, okay. But or he- a believer, for that matter. <laughs> Sorry. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, mm. but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Uh-oh. Oh, so we have indwelling sin still. Yes. Because this is Paul as a converted man speaking those words. And nobody I know is as holy as Paul was, so uh, other than Jesus. Amen. So, and right on. As Bodie Bachman would say, amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. Amen or ouch. Yeah, if you can't say amen, y'all say ouch. There you go. So along those same lines, with us being empowered by the Spirit, well, then we should be able to heal people, right? We should be able to cause people's arms and legs to grow back to their normal length, right? Oof. I'm going to say no. No? I, I'm going to say no with the caveat of, look, the Lord can do what, what he wants when he gets good and ready. That's right. But the beautiful thing about this life uh, that's on this fallen world is that we have the wonder and the beauty of his inerrant word, mm-hmm. which lays out stuff like this. Yeah. Just to be clear, uh, the reason, one of the reasons that the apostles and the early church had the ability to do miracles and signs and wonders was to establish their authority. Mm-hmm. There was no New Testament then. Mm-hmm. They had the scriptures, they had sure. the Old Testament, and they knew it. They memorized it. Mm-hmm. They did not unhitch any portion of the Old Testament from their faith. That's true. So, but the reason that they were given those gifts and abilities is to establish their authority. We don't need that today. Right. We have the Holy Word, mm-hmm. scripture. Now, Again, the Lord performs miracles all the time. 
That's right. Through the proclamation of the word. Anytime somebody gets sick and then they get well, yes, the Lord is the one who did that. Absolutely. And he may use medicine and doctors and... Can I say even whiskey? The, even, even the laying on of hands. Absolutely. I mean, James, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look at what happens when someone gets someone. Absolutely, even so the laying can, on of hands. He can do that in the right way. That's right. When humility is shown, um, when it's not to draw attention to themselves. And, and something very important here, uh, when guys like Todd White do this, these charlatans, they do it to promote themselves and they never proclaim the gospel. That's right. And we'll talk about that later. That's but, right. Because we're talking about Christology today. And I got off on a soapbox. Sorry. It's all right. So we understand why Jesus had to be a human. He, he had to be a human in order to replace Adam as our representative. Right? And, and the truth of the matter is, let's just be honest. There are only two types of people in the world. There are those who are in Adam mm-hmm. and those who are in Christ. That's right. There, there, there is no other. There is no neutrality here. Uh, even Jesus, in His own words, said, "If you are not for me, you're, you're against, against me. me." Right there, there is no neutrality to the gospel, um, and so there is no neutrality to Jesus. We, we are with Him, or we are against Him. We are in Adam, or we are in Christ. That's right. And um, I think that's important to say. Um, and 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 by the way, Jesus is the only way. Amen. We're, okay, since we're dropping names, let's just go ahead and drop Oprah, Oprah Winfrey out there, right? We're not all just sitting at the bottom of a mountain, mm-hmm. all going to go climb to the top, and at the top is the one God. Whether you're at the bottom and you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, we're not all just at the bottom of the mountain trying to get to the top. First of all, because you can't climb the mountain. You can't get to God. The Tower of Babel shows that you can't get to God. Right. And when you do try to get to God, he laughs. Romans 3, no one seeks the Lord. He, he laughs. He, he, ha- he came down to the people in Babel, and he said, you guys are out of your mind. And that's what all of those religions are. All of those religions, other than Christianity, are, we're going to climb the mountain, we're going to get to the top where God is, mm. and we're going to receive some type of gra- you know, some type of love or grace when we get there because we tried to work this plan on how to get there the right way. That's where Christianity differs from every other religion in the world. We are a God-centered, not an anthropocentric or a man-centric view. We are a God-centered view where it begins with God and it then we filter everything through God did something, not the man, man is the center of the universe and we're just trying to figure out how to get to God. No, God created and we're here because of God and it's about God. It's all about God. Now, how do we, how do we wrestle with it, with God being the, the beginning and the center of those things? There ain't no mountain that anybody's climbing to that they're going to get to God at the top of the mountain. So, why is it important that Jesus be a human? Well, let, let, let's define a oh, human or... No, uh, sorry. God? Fully yeah. divine. Yeah. So, let, 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 let's read some scripture together, and we're going to go kind of quick through these. John 17, verse 5. 
Jesus prayed, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with your glory that I had with you before the world existed. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through and for him. I could keep reading that passage of scripture right there because it's amazing, but I'll stop with Hebrews, man, loving some Hebrews right now. 1 verse 3, he being Christ is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making, I love this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hmm. Let me read this uh, from from the Chalcedonian definition here. It says, Jesus is co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead. Mm. Co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead. Right? Consubstantial is the word there. He is of the same substance as the Father. Okay, that's, that's the difference between homoousius and homoousius, right? Homoousius is of similar substance, Homoousius is the same substance, right? He is of the same substance as the Father. That's where it's very clear that we should call him, and you mentioned it earlier, Chris, the second person of the Trinity. When we say that Jesus was fully divine, we're saying he is the second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal to the Spirit and the Father, right? He had no beginning, that's right. Right? He had there was no beginning. He has been eternally in perfect harmony and union with the Spirit and the Father forever and will be forever. And that's that's an important to clarify um that us as believers um Legionnaire Ministries released their state of theology uh recently and one of the questions on there was um, do you affirm that Jesus Christ was God's highest and first created being? Um, and it was over 60%. I think it was actually over 70%. I'm not 100% on that. I probably should have looked that up before I said that. But it was over 50, which is mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Believed that Arian view of which, you know, and, and Arian theology was... Uh, condemned as heresy mm-hmm. um, uh, in the 5th century, I believe it was. That was Nicaea, wasn't it? Nope, 4th, okay. 4th uh, century. Um, and uh, no, he was not created. Nick, you said it perfectly that um, he had no beginning. Mm. Mm. So why does, why does it matter? So we, we talked about why it's important for Jesus to have been fully God, I mean fully human. Why is it important that he be fully God? How does that matter to us? How does, why does that matter to Christians that Jesus be fully divine? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, John 2, 19, 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us? For doing these things. And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise it up. Mm. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Notice what Jesus says there. He says, I will raise it up in three days. Mm-hmm. Jesus is going to raise himself. Right? And there are other places in scripture where the Spirit raised Jesus, where the Father raised Jesus. It was a Trinitarian work. The re- resurrection of Jesus was a Trinitarian work. Amen. Just as the resurrection of us as dead, dead, dead people in sin is a Trinitarian resurrection, right? In order for any of us to be saved, all three persons of the Trinity have a role in the salvation of every single That's individual right. sinners. That's right. Every single individual sinner. That should be so encouraging to the believer. It should be so encouraging to the believer that, that God loved you a sinner so much that he chose you, that Jesus died for you, and that the Spirit applied the blood of Christ mm. to you through the regeneration of your heart. Well, you want to talk about why is it important that, that Jesus himself was God fully, truly, and fully God? Uh, check out Romans 5. We're going to back up a few verses from where you were earlier. Well, verse 6, for while we were still weak, why were we weak? Because of sin. Mm. Had Christ not been truly God, um, he would have been weak, not in the sense of a human form, but not able to absorb the wrath of God, which is what this is right here in just a second. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. (sighs) Skipping down to verse 8. But God shows his love for us, then while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. For while we were uh, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now than that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Mm. Life. So I guess the the question that I, I have for us is, why is the resurrection important? Because if Jesus isn't God... There is no resurrection. That's right. If Jesus isn't God, there is no resurrection. Let me just tell you this. If God put even a little bitty grain of sand worth of his wrath onto a normal human being, we would be crushed forever. We would never be able to come back from that. But God put his full propitiatory wrath on Christ, and Christ overcame that. He overcame the death of the full wrath of God in the resurrection. And that's why we have new life. That's, that's why we're baptized. Baptism is a symbol of the regeneration that has already taken place in the heart of a believer. Mm. Being raised new life. We don't have new life if Jesus isn't resurrected. Because if Jesus isn't resurrected, that means his sacrifice was not sufficient to do what it was meant to do. That's right. I mean, look at, look at what John saw in Revelation when he was on Patmos, right? Verse 17 of, of Revelation 1, when I, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Mm. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. He couldn't say that mm. if he were not truly divine. That's right. That's right. 
So we've, we've laid this picture out that if Jesus isn't fully human, we have no salvation. We have no salvation if Jesus isn't fully God because the resurrection of Jesus is the confirmation that his sacrifice was sufficient to do exactly what it was meant to accomplish. On the cross, when he said, it is finished, it truly was finished. Everything that it was meant to accomplish was accomplished. And kind of bringing this back around to where we were earlier, Hebrews 8. That's why he's that great high priest. That's another reason. I mean, he is our heavenly intercessor right now for the elect interceding for us Mm. to the Father. I just want to read another main reason why Jesus must have been divine is uh, because of John 1, verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Mm. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who has at the Father's side, he has made him known. How many times did Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? That's right. Jesus is the revelation of of the eternal triune God to man. He is the revelation of God. He has made him known. The one who is at the Father's side has made the only God that no one has ever seen known. That's, that's, that's an amazing statement. And then, then you can go to Colossians, right? Mm. In the fullness of Jesus, God dwells bodily. Right? He is the revelation of God. The full revelation. Yep. That is a, that's an, I mean, that's an amazing work. That is an amazing God-man revealing the fullness of God to humanity. A couple more things to mention. In the Chalcedonian definition, it is mentioned not as though he, that is Jesus, were parted or divided into two persons, mm. but one and the self same Son, only begotten God, Word, Lord, Jesus Christ. I think it's very, very tricky when handling the hypostatic union and the fullness of Jesus' humanity and the fullness of his deity. I think it gets very tricky sometimes and slippery where we can fall into this idea where we say that, oh, well, Jesus's humanity did this, or Jesus's deity did this. We're getting close to slipping into some unorthodox waters there by yep. saying that, yep. right? We, we, ha- we must say that when, anytime when Jesus walked on water, right, he did that as a man, but, on, but man can't walk on water. Only God can walk on water. But Jesus as a person did that. We should not say, hey, Jesus' deity walked on water. No. 
Jesus, the person, walked on water. And, and when, we, when we start dividing the two, we get, in, we get into some, some, some rocky waters where we're, we're really, really getting close to some, being in some heretical areas there. So we just got to be careful with the way that we speak of Jesus, not dividing him into two persons, you know, and, and, and I just, I think that's the most practical way that Christians, now you don't really hear a lot of Christians like getting into like this, um, you know, Apollinarianism and things mm, like that. But, yeah. but I think the way it does flesh itself out sometimes is we tend to want to divide his, his natures into two separate people. One example of that is, is the, the blood. Right mm. now, uh, and, and this is from uh, this is uh, Richard Mayhew. Uh, he says, says this. He says, um, but because the blood is a property of Christ's human nature, and quote God unquote is a property of His divine nature, Paul can say that God purchased the church with His own blood. The properties of both natures may be uh, predicated to of the one person of Christ. Um, and th- that, that's a great point, man. That's right. Oh, that's yeah. a huge, that, 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 that's huge. That's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Just a, a quick recapitulation here of what we've, uh, I like Nick's words that he, what we've, he what we've talked about. Recapitulation. Say that four times fast. The, the humanity of Christ, how important it is. Jesus needed to be a human in order to represent humans. Yeah. Jesus needed to be a human in order to die for humans. If Jesus would have been a cat, he would have come to save cats, right? If we would have been chickens, Jesus would have come as a chicken, right? Jesus came as a man because God intended to redeem man. Amen. Jesus needed to be human in order to be our great high priest, our mediator, in order that he might truly sympathize with our weaknesses, with our temptations, uh, that we might be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence in, when we, in a time of need. And we, we've talked about why the virgin birth is important. No virgin birth, no salvation, because... If Jesus is a sinner like you and I, if he's tainted with a sin like we are, he is not a sufficient sacrifice for us. Yep. He is not the spotless lamb. When you, you go take it all the way back to the Passover, right? The lamb that was slain needed to be without spot and without blemish. If the lamb had a broken leg, it was not sufficient sacrifice. If the lamb had a ganked up ear, it's not a sufficient sacrifice. <laughs> the lamb must be sp- spotless and without blemish. That's right. Right? And so the virgin birth is of utmost importance. And we saw in his deity, the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. It is essential. It is a picture of us having victory over sin, having new life, mm. of uh, and having eternal life, this life that we now live, being born again, we will live with Christ for eternity be- because of the resurrection, yep. because he had victory over death and hell and the grave and sin. We saw that, we saw that he is the revelation of God. Mm. No one has ever seen God, but like you said, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've, you've seen, seen the Father, it. right? We now have seen God. 
in flesh. That was my recapitulation. Uh, Complete with chickens, cats, and gank. That's right. Do uh, do you have do you have any any closing remarks that you would like to uh, like to give us? Well, I, I I do, and you know one of the things when we started this episode today, uh, you know that 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 I was in, in studying for this and was I mean you look at these these incorrect views that we've talked about in the person and work of Christ is nothing new. I mean, the fourth century we talked about you had you had the Arianism the believing that Christ was created and questioning his deity. By the way, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses are. Yep. Um, and, and that led to the Council uh, of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed. Fifth century, you had uh, the Manassephites, and they, that, that was the, the churches couldn't understand the dual nature of Christ, and that's what led to the Council of Chalcedon. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Chalcedon? Chalcedon. Chalcedon. There you go. Chalcedon. That led to the Council of Chalcedon. <clears throat> The 19th century, you had European liberalism, which denied any and all supernatural abilities that Christ had. Virgin birth, atonement, ascension, every miracle he performed. 20th century was a huge combination of them all. And today, you've got mainline churches, so, you know, so-called evangelical churches, um, with, the, with the focus on unity and being seeker-friendly, um, that have, have com- are completely denying um, or, or telling people that the virgin birth is not important, um, you know, and, and it's one of those things that all of this stuff has been deemed heresy throughout history. Mm-hmm. So why on earth would we as believers in our right minds even entertain these ideas? And I, I believe it's, it's just ignorance and, and immaturity. Well, so, I, and, and I'll, that, that's what I was going to wrap up with, but was some some encouragement and admonishment from the writer of Hebrews. Yeah. Well, they I mean they <clears throat> ultimately the things that we see in the church today there is a, it's just a s- same soup just reheated. Recapitulation. You know? It's 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 yeah, it is. It's it's same soup, man, just reheated, right? Yep. These yep. these things that are infiltrating our church to, infiltrating the church today are 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 nothing new. Um yep. It, they they may they may flesh themselves out in a different way. Um, the practical aspect may look a little different, but there there really there really is nothing new. And we recommend that you read on these things. Yeah, we recommend yes, that you yeah. go you go and you read up on on these things because listen, it's an authority issue. That's what it is. Yeah. Yep. That's what it yep. is. What you're saying right now is how did we get here? Well, because people do not believe in the sufficiency of scripture is ultimately that's where it is. Yep. It's a sufficiency issue. Um, you could people can say and spout off at the mouth all they want to that the, the Bible is inerrant, the Bible is infallible, but that's okay. But if you don't believe that the Bible is sufficient, you're going to lead your flock down a wrong path sometime. Okay. And so we encourage you to read first your Bibles. Amen. Please read your Bibles. Don't allow your pastors to be the ones who are your only source of theological intake. Yeah. They can't be. No. You you need to work on your own. It's hard. 
Yeah. It's hard work, man. It's diligent. It takes a lot of diligent work to to study and to wrestle and to grapple with God's word. Yeah. Because there is hard, there are hard things in there. There are difficult things that people don't want to deal with. And instead of dealing with them and wrestling with them in their own hearts, they just want to shove them aside. Yep. And they want them. And they want to. They want to put make scripture what they want it to say and not what it actually says, not what God has actually spoken. Yep. And so, please read your Bibles and read on these nobody likes reading heresies nobody nobody wants to hear councils being called and condemning people to and excommunicating people because they're heretics well, I, th- I mean i think there's a place for it but the truth of the matter is is you should know you need to know these things yep please know them on your own Please seek to grow in theology and your understanding of God's Word on your own. Don't just believe everything that your pastor says. I'm sure your pastor's a great guy. I'm sure he loves Jesus. Hopefully it's a he. If it's not a he, you need to get out of there. Uh, hopefully he loves Jesus, right? And and he hopefully he wants the best for you. But you need to be studying on your own for sure. Well, you have a responsibility and you're commanded to. You are commanded to let me say it again you as a believer theology is not just for those who you may think are spiritually elite they're not just for the pastors the deacons the elders if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have been regenerated you have a responsibility and a command to study the word be a Berean I've said it every episode I've done thus far to test the spirits, First John, Thessalonians, test everything. And that's where I was going to go in Hebrews, was Hebrews 5. This section is called Warnings Against Apostasy. It says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Mm-hmm. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love the, I love the hearing there. God has he's given you ears to hear. Yeah. He who has ears, let him hear, hear, and hear, and hear some more, and then do, and do, and do some more, right? Be be a great hearer. Be a great hearer that that also is a great doer, right? Mm. You can't can't do if you don't hear. You can't, if you're not studying, you're not going to hear. God has given you ears to hear his word. That's right. So listen, hear, listen to God's word. And then go and do it. That's it. Right? Well, hey, um, I kind of think that's a good place to, to wrap up today. There's so much more that, that we could say uh, about, the, the, about Christology. So, But uh, if you guys have um, any questions about anything uh, or disagree with anything that we've said, um, our email address is theology, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us um, on Twitter. It's at Matter Theology. 
Uh, Facebook, we're on Matters of Theology, and Instagram is Matter of Theology too, I believe. But And if this is a blessing to you, please uh, leave a five-star rating and leave a comment. Um, not that it's about that. We're not doing this for the accolades uh, or anything you may say about us, but uh, but we would appreciate any feedback that you would have. So, um, But until next time, be diligent, go in God's grace, and we appreciate your time. Be blessed. Be blessed.